0: Building a plan, constantly assessing the plan, being malleable for when the plan needs to change, Mm -hmm. but like not trying to lose direction and hope in it. And I can't say that I'm on top of it all the time, but like that has never been my aspiration to be on top of it all the time. Mm -hmm. My aspiration is to be um, efficient and sometimes efficiency does mean that you miss a couple of shots, you know what I'm
1: saying? Yeah. Yeah. Hey guys, it's Ariel from the Work and Play podcast. If you're getting any value from this channel, and I mean anything from the tutorials, to the podcast, to the random videos that you see on this channel, then I just ask that you do one thing, please subscribe. Subscribe and share this to anyone that you think this resonates with, and drop a comment below so I'll know what other things that you wanna see next. Now let's get back to the episode. So welcome back to another edition of the Work and Play Podcast. I'm your host, Arielle, and I have a crazy, crazy cool guest, Mr. Jamil Jude, here to share his story with us. Welcome, welcome, welcome.
0: Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Excited to do this. Thank you very much for including
1: me. Absolutely. And so we have a a lot of um, different compartments that we can kind of get into, but um, for, for the guest purposes, as well as just like myself, even me, like getting a really clear idea of what it is that you do. Um, Would you share, would you like to introduce yourself to the folks?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, My name is Jamil Jude. I'm the artistic director at True Colors Theatre Company here in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I've been artistic director for just over two years now, um, but I've been in Atlanta serving at True Colors since 2017. Um, As artistic director, you know, my job is really the lead curator. I'm curating both our programmatic content, the plays that we do, the art that we um, put out there in the public. That's my... Uh, lead job, but I'm also uh, very much a strategic leader, uh, along with my managing director, Chandra stevens Albright, We lead, we are the leadership team of the theater, uh, making sure that uh, budgets, strategic planning, um, the way in which True Colors wants to show up and be a leader in our civic discourse and the leadership of the city of Atlanta, um, we help put that frame out there. So uh, it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, probably more column A, uh, just because I am the lead artist at the theater, um, but definitely column B, but that's a leadership model that I share uh, with Chandra.
1: Okay, and, and of um, since you've been at um, True Color since 2017, how many plays have you been a part of or had your hands on?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, now that the pandemic has shortened it, but uh, yeah, uh, four, eight, 12, uh, so maybe about like 12 main stage shows, so like full productions numerous readings digital uh plays now community conversations uh i'm probably around like 60 events or something like that now during my time in the last four years but um you know a lot of that was shortened because of the pandemic but um this has just been another evolution of my career uh true colors well atlanta is the third city i've lived in as a professional theater maker uh I uh, spent time previously in D.C. at the beginning of my career and then where you and I intersected during yeah. my time in Minneapolis before moving down back to Atlanta.
1: Okay, got it. So, yeah, we met in Minneapolis, so I didn't even realize you had a whole stint. I mean, duh, life existed mm-hmm. before I met you. <laughs> but, okay, so now that we kind of have a foundation of, like, what you do, um, because I'm actually still a little bit curious about what the difference is from your evolution from t- 2017 till now, um with the hiccup being you had to do like one digital um production last year that i remember you posting right so what's that transition been like uh so in
0: 2017 i really came down here to um, shadow and assist kenny leon who was the founding artistic director uh in the work that he was doing as a company kenny was the first ever black director black male director i saw working and made a, an indelible mark on me as a young person so I kind of backed into theater in high in college, excuse me. Um, I was a football player, got hurt, was asked to be in a play. You know, I had some time. Um, Wasn't a play, got bit by the bug, but it was all kind of like student work. I didn't really study it in university. Uh, so when I became a professional in it, I still had very like amateur ideas. But here comes Kenny. You know, at that time he had run the Alliance Theater, which is the big the biggest theater. Here in the atlanta metro um he had founded true colors theater company a black theater company he had directed on broadway felicia rashad sean diddy combs he had been working all across the country he i don't know if he had won a tony by that point but like this guy was a big time dude and uh but he was so down to earth man. i come to find out that he was from tallahassee florida which was where i'm from and all of a sudden it's like oh shit. I'm, so, I'm sorry i like oh stuff um <laughs> if good. this is possible right like what's what I can do that like it's not it's not impossible because there's a roadmap uh, so long story short meeting him at the beginning of my career and then him eventually coming back and saying like hey I think Atlanta might be a really interesting place for you to continue your development and why don't you do it uh, assisting me in trying to bring about a newer future for True Colors Uh, So I think he may have had another plan in mind, but I really moved down here just to kind of learn, see what I could take, and then ultimately move on, you know, whether I stayed in Atlanta or whatever, but uh, move on from True Colors. But I would say maybe about eight months, nine months, 10 months into my time at True Colors, he came to me and was like, what would you think about running this company? Um, And from the moment I met him, and really started to coalesce what I wanted to do in the theater. It was to run a culturally relevant theater company. And like, this is not necessarily intended to be a a selling point for True Colors, but I don't think there is any more relevant, culturally relevant theater company in Atlanta than the main black theater company in a majority black city, in -hmm. the black Mecca, in the South. I think we hold a really interesting place so I, I make no qualms about it. I think I have the best job in the American
1: theater. That's dope, and and I can attest that um, after seeing the um, show you did with the, the musical rendition of Tupac's uh, oh, yeah, story, yeah. that oh, that was so good. <laughs> and I never thought that I would like a musical um, with like with the Tupac theme, but it really, really worked. Yeah, it was right it like was that. absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I'm so I'm glad I was able to kind of see your work, you know, front, firsthand um but let's let's take it a little bit back mm-hmm. what was your your upbringing like have you always been a creative uh
0: yeah you know that's funny man my mom um, you know tells the story one my mom has always been my biggest cheerleader man like she says that uh, you know i could uh make a mess in the middle of a carpet and she would tell me i'm the best carpet messer ever you know what i mean so <laughs> like, she's always been in my support system but um yeah i would draw i got really into uh, like shoe design when i was like a jit like so like Seven, eight, whenever that was, I was like creating new shoes. And um, so I guess I've always been creatively minded. Uh, but my big thing growing up was sports. Like it mm-hmm. was something that was a challenge for me, but something that made me feel a greater connection to the community that was around me. I grew up, I was born in the U.S. Virgin Islands. I'm, you know, West Indian, Symptomian. Um And uh, growing up, you know, my mom had a heavy accent coming from the States. Um, so there was this you know, acculturation process that you go through as a kind of an outsider um, to what is it like to be in the to be a southern black person uh, And sports was really one of those entry points. I was really smart in school and oftentimes, especially when you're black, they try to separate you and put you in white spaces uh, when you are gifted mm-hmm. or you have some type of uh, academic success so that further marginalization from the community that looked like me that i wanted to be a part of happened inside school so sports was always the avenue to be able to re- rejoin that okay. um, so i don't know that you know i was ever really like into plays i was in the band in middle school and um, had to make a decision whether to join the band or play football and at that time in ninth grade. I was like, that's an easy choice. (laughs) So yeah, artistry has always been inside me, but it probably was never something that I would use to identify myself. If you asked me back then, I was an athlete. And I was a scholar, probably mm-hmm. in that order.
1: Mm-hmm. If you never got hurt, what did you see yourself doing at that time?
0: Oh, I knew I, I never was going to be good enough to play in the NFL, right? Like okay. Our, I, sports was always a means to an end. I probably mm-hmm. didn't realize what where it would take me, but mm-hmm. I knew that my goal and my dream was never going to get to the NFL. <laughs> uh, no matter how much I you know kept it secret in the back of my head, I knew it was never uh, going to happen. I wanted to be an orthopedic surgeon. I went to a uh, school um, to study Spanish and to minor in, like, a science. Uh, the goal was always that, like, I would be in sports medicine. I would be an orthopedic surgeon. I would be a sports doctor that kept me around the team okay, um, and kept me around sports and still pursuing medicine. And I, I pursued medicine fairly hard, man. I went to a summer medical program, sophomore year of college, and uh, was pre-med really up until the end um i ultimately graduated with a another language degree and a science degree english i majored in english <laughs> and not spanish um but um yeah ultimately it i when i graduated college even though i was on this arts kick i still thought i'll give it five years i can go to a post back program i still will be a doctor um and you know <laughs> years later um Medicine is the furthest thing from my mom. But maybe one day, maybe with this art career, we're crashing, burning, I'll go back and uh, do medicine again.
1: I can only imagine how that probably... Your education in medicine, is. is I'm sure it's followed you, so I'm, I can only imagine how it shows up in your conversations with like creatives and you guys are talking about plays, and something comes up from a biology course or something where you're like, you know, well, because of this, I, I'm pretty sure it still follows you. But um, what I was going to say is... The thought about, um, see, this is what happens when I'm like really into this story and I hold on to a question. It was, uh, so before we actually started to film, you were talking about your relationship with values. Mm. And so since 2015, um, you've been really heavy into your values and kind of recalibrating every year. But when we pick our career in life, sometimes we value stability over right, right. passion or sometimes we value passion or money right. Mm-hmm. So you have this making of like drawing this creative bug right that we haven't really tapped into from a play perspective. We have the sports thing and then you have the orthopedic um, surgeon uh, or, right yeah. that is it gets you close enough to sports but you don't have to necessarily play. So, what was your value in terms of money, passion, creativeness? Like, what? How were you making your decisions at that time?
0: Yeah. Oh man, what were my values? Probably were Miss Alon. Definitely, you know, like um, <laughs> I, it's still true. I, I've said for a long time that I've, I always do things for two reasons: one to make my friends jealous, and one to attract the attention of at that time and still is like. A, Women, but like now, hey, Lauren, I love you, boo. (laughs) So just a woman, you know what I mean? Um, And like so that. So really, I think it was recognition. It was probably my value, Um, success, achievement. um, Were probably my my values and like, how quickly can I gain something? Do it as best as I can and be proud, stand up, and be like, yo, I did it. And now let's go to the next thing. That probably was more of what my values were in my teens and probably through my early 20s. Yeah, um, maybe even for a little bit longer than that. But yeah. mm-hmm.
1: You said, so So you can brag to your friends and then for attention of the ladies.
0: Yeah, definitely. Those, those, <laughs> those, are, the only two, those are the only two things I cared about for a very long time.
1: Okay. Yeah. And so now um, you've transitioned almost, what, 15 years from then and mm-hmm. now... Yes. What what would you say has now changed or what would you say you've added in, in that? <laughs> <laughs> like
0: I, said, I think still, like, uh, showing out for my friends is important because I have a, I have a friend group of, like, awesome, high-achieving people. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, the goal is not to, like, outdo each other and be like, yo, look what I did, but to be like, you're know, like, and here's the bar. Now, someone else go jump it mm-hmm. just so I can go have the challenge of trying to go jump it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I think that still is a, a high value for me. I've reframed it, um, you know, in achievement looks like uh, joyful temple work, like, you know, like uh, getting my uh, mental right, getting my spirituality, staying on top of my health. Right. So like some of the things that we do to challenge each other is like, hey, did you go to the doctor? Mm -hmm. I went to the doctor. I went to the doctor twice last year. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. so it's that type of stuff. So they've reframed the way that competition exists for me and my friends. And then I still think some of it is less about recognition because I do feel like I have, I think people in my field recognize the contributions that that I'm making, that I have made. So maybe it's less about recognition, but still wanting to... um, be of service and of value. Um, one of the ways I've outlined the values. So I hold three core values. Joyful, temple work. Um, quest and contribute. I also say it like seek and share. Um, that I can explain a little bit later. And this last one, art action. How do I use my art to inspire social action amongst other people? That's kind of what that like. What recognition has morphed into is how am i taking advantage of the skill set that i have mm-hmm. to inspire other people to make make active change in the society that they live in
1: mm-hmm. when you get when you get so deep
0: <laughs> i don't know i don't know I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't i don't know i don't i don't even maybe i don't recognize it but like i love thinking man i do love thinking um i'm appreciative of a job that inspires me to do that that gives me space to do that um this is like my third interview or like talk of the day Mm -hmm. so you know just on a day when I'm able just to spend time talking to other smart humans bouncing ideas um I think the quote is misattributed to W.E.B. Du Bois but it says the art and trade of philosophy is the government of society you know so like that's what we're supposed to do we're supposed to sit balance ideas have our ideas challenge that I- idea of iron sharpens iron mm-hmm. um i'm i'm thankful that i have a life that provides me the space to be able to do that um and i'm thankful for the time to reflect it but also just to kick it and you know chill and, and sit in nice big 30 <laughs> white chairs <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, right, no, you know, honestly, that's the philosophy of Work and Play Podcast because, um, I wholeheartedly love to just be able to like spitball conversations and have these philosophical conversations where we can just be kind of shooting the breeze, mm-hmm. eating food, kicking back, eating some popcorn or whatever, and then start solving the world's problems, Smart. But I'm such an Active driven person, I'm always the type of person that's like, okay, now what are we gonna do with these um, these um, these ideas? Right, right. So, in your friend group, now that you've mentioned, you know, iron sharpens iron, and then your value of like wanting to like set the bar for your friends and having these accountability relationships, so to speak. Do you have um, an outlet where you guys create things together in your friendships?
0: Yeah, um, you know, we have been a little bit inconsistent of it, a little pre-pandemic, but um mostly during the pandemic uh we would have like these monthly check-ins um it's less of an artistic space um but definitely more of like the art and trade of philosophy right um of just where we sit and talk and guide one another um my friends are creatives and some of that like manifests itself in like let's just have a group chat where we outdo each other with memes you know like Mm -hmm. um but yeah, I'm thankful for group chats. I'm thankful for uh, you know late night sessions with a couple of you know the homies. So um, we're we're able just to talk and um, but yeah, maybe maybe less artistic spaces. I uh, I have found that my artistic collaborations look different now that I'm the leader of a theater company. Um, but that. I, you know, maybe maybe that's something that we should do more of. Now mm-hmm. you got me just thinking of like, what would it look like to uh, leave my guys in more like art exercises? And we do some of that stuff too, though. Like we, you know, we have like we've held like webinars where someone who's learned something just sits and and teaches the others mm-hmm. uh, about what's going on. But yeah, I'm kind of digging now. Like, what would an art an art session look like?
1: Mm-hmm. And when I say create. It's like um, not not necessarily just creating an artistic space, but because you might you guys might all come from different trains of thought, mm-hmm. and you have this um, consciousness of creativity and bringing like a certain message to the masses. Depending on what their you know uh, vocations are, you guys can come together and create something that's even bigger than you know you guys individually. Something that looks completely different, ideating in a way where. You guys take everything that you've learned, maybe something you've read from a book, something that they experience in their work, and then you guys just kind of go off and just create something that's just yeah. dope. Mm-hmm. That's
0: definitely. Yeah. I like that. I like
1: that a lot. Something to think about. Um, so you're a leader of, um, of a theater now, but before that, you had your hands on a fir- on your first play. Now, were you on the on the stage or were you always in the back?
0: Um, so the first time I remember like being actively involved in a play was freshman year of college, and I was an actor. Okay. Um, not a very good actor, but a dedicated one. Um, <laughs> and uh, from that moment, then I I was challenged by other teammates and uh, who happened to be in the arts to write a play. Um, the student group that we were part of was called Urban Theater, and uh, we went to a predominantly white institution at. Was run by like Eastern Europeans, um, and the theater that they liked to produce was not necessarily theater that spoke to the black and brown students at the university. So we had our own student group, Urban Theater, um, and one of my my teammates, good friend Raymond Taft, like he said, like if you don't write a play for Urban Theater this year, we're not gonna have one. Um, so then I, then I wrote my first play, uh, Dark Brown Eyes, a play in four seasons. Man, that was a that was a trip, uh, but. Yeah. what was it about what was dark brown eyes about dark brown eyes was about a uh, a black man uh who um was in college <laughs> so um who was like it may be in his senior or junior year now i can't remember but it was about the four seasons of his senior year or junior year whatever it was uh and the relationships that he had um, both with uh, a girlfriend with his boys with other people around uh, the university and how he was navigating that it really was like in, in so many of the scenes were the stories of me and my friends and how do I put them in a narrative that um you know challenges the way black black men see themselves and the way we're seen by others um it was a lot of fun man it was a lot of fun and I'm sure if I went back and watched it or read it now I'd cringe at just um Some of the things, but, you know, we were talking a little bit offline about what does it mean to make true the thoughts in your head or the experiences you have, and some of that is by writing it down. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Dark Brown Eyes and Playing Four Seasons, if anything, was a true experience of what I felt like these early 20-something-year-old black men that I knew and lived around what our experiences
1: were in life. Mhm. You have a um like a real air about you where if anybody weren't to know you, like as I look at you growing like on social media and like the web and just even seeing you on stage when I got to go to the theater, you have this real professional like super it could even be like intimidating cuz you're you're like you just carry yourself like that. But then you have this other air with, where it's like real Homeboyish and real um, relatable, so when you think when you tell a story about the the black man experience at that time, um, you seem pretty layered. So what what would you say distinguishes you from the black male experience, but then also what connects you, what ties you to being yourself, even though you carry this very prestigious persona when you're like in the you know public eye?
0: Yeah, uh, that's a, that's an interesting question. You know, like, I, one, I feel like all of it, you know, like the um, the dynamism of black men is that we can be all of it, right? You know, I love, uh, Lauren, my wife gets mad, mad, mad at me all the time because, like, you know, my mom talks about it too, like, uh, this idea of, like, being a chameleon, being able to blend in everywhere. Some of that is like, you know, you talked about safety and security being some people's values, but some of that, you know, it comes from that, like, um... Like, I like people to feel safe around me, and I like feeling safe around people. I really love intimate, deep conversations, and this is why this is so dope uh, to do with you here, although we're doing it for other people, but uh, this feels very much like, yo, I mean, we were having the same conversation off the camera, right? Right. Um, And some of that means that in order to connect to people, you got to tap into different parts of yourself. Mm. and sometimes it means that you break out all the polysyllabic words, you know what I mean? And sometimes it means that you just sit back in the cut and you chill and you just talk about whatever or just talk how naturally you feel. And, um, you know, I I don't make any, I don't try to act like I'm not, you know, a black kid born in the Virgin Islands, raised in Tallahassee, Florida. Like, that's who I am, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And... You know, all the things that people associate with small town, large town. I guess how I it was a large town, mm-hmm. a small city, large town. Like, I done done all that. You know, I done played in the creek. I, you know what I mean? Like, I done uh, walked through woods, cut through backwoods to get to class and stuff like that. All that is part of who I am. So um, it just depends on the space I am in, which part of that personality needs to be flex forward, push forward at any given time. So I'm just thankful to have had all those experiences and to be able to feel like I can be safe Mm -hmm. in any room, depending on what aspects of that people want, what people need or that I want to experience too.
1: As a a black man, I feel like you're probably um, a great example for a lot of people who don't have a mentor, don't have a father, don't have X, Y, and Z. Do you find yourself giving mentorship, like finding mentorship opportunities where you can give back on, in a formal setting, or do you take an opportunity to ch- just kind of do that on a regular basis?
0: Yeah, man. Uh, yeah, both. I probably do it less formally now um, because of just the time commitments, right? Like I hate, I hate not being able to uphold a commitment, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, um, as a member of the Greatest Fraternity Ever, Kappa Fasso Fraternity Incorporated <laughs> Shout um, out. Um, <laughs> You know, GuideWrite was big. Uh, So when I pledged, you know, showing up at GuideWrite, Alexandria Fairfax, uh, alumni chapter where I was made in D.C., uh, we do a Camp Kappa every year. And every year that they invite me to speak to the kids, uh, I'm excited to do that. Um, Done the big brothers, big sisters stuff. And um, I, I love those mentorship opportunities. I think what's probably more informal now are that, I felt like I didn't get embraced by a black theater when I was a young producer. Mm-hmm. I found inside black artists a lot of mentorship, but those black artist connections were often found in predominantly white spaces. Okay. So they helped me create safe spaces for black and brown artists inside of predominantly white spaces. But I didn't really have that experience of being inside of a black theater and uh feeling what that love was in a space for us by us so when i became an artistic director my goal was like okay i'm gonna be the artistic director that i always wanted was like anybody who wants access to me here's my email address here's my number here's where i'll be um if you don't get me on the email one time email me again you know i'm gonna get to you it's not that i'm trying to big time you or anything like that and I'm happy to put time on my calendar for anybody mm-hmm. um, because I think that I got here because people thought enough of me to pour into me. Um, it would be man, like a slap in the face to not do the same thing for anybody who um, saw in me a person that they could get something from.
1: Yeah. Did you have your dad, um, dad and mom in your life, or was it just mom? Yes, I had my dad and my mom
0: in my life, but not not in the same house, you know what I mean? Like, uh, okay. my, my father was um, in the military and uh, was doing this thing, um, so uh, they never got together. I think they probably split, split like shortly after I was born. Um, he was in Germany. I think when I was born, he was actually living in Germany, stationed in Germany. Um, but he was always a, a presence in my life. I would spend my winter Christmas break uh, with him uh, He would come down to Tallahassee often, especially when he was um, Had some leave um, and things like that. So he's always been uh, an important part of my life and our relationship has grown exponentially mm-hmm. since I've been an adult um, Especially as I've become a dad myself. Uh, he's become a granddad. He's retired, right? Like So uh, I think we have probably more in depth and like conversations that aren't just like surface. So he was always in my life from like a you know like a surface place. Like I know like I could call my dad if I had a question or something like that. Tell about my grades. He would get mad if I didn't do well, you know, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now that like, we can talk about politics, about emotions, energy, mm-hmm. you know, how we're dealing with the world. We're both, you know, he got married the year after he got married, so we're both husbands now um so we can talk about all that stuff and my mom like i said my mom's always been there you know always been uh, the biggest cheerleader served in that fa- she fathered me too you know when it was like the reason why i played football was because she was a big football fan is a big football fan wow so you know throwing the ball with her taking me all to those places uh you know she definitely fathered me and mothered me too you know so mm mm-hmm. um, big shout out to Winnette.
1: Yeah, yes. Got to give mama a shout out. That sounds awesome. And um <clears throat> and it, you've come into you've come into your manhood with like without any type of um off balance sense. Like mom was able to give you what you needed from both like um a development from a man's perspective as well as I'm I'm wondering if she also gave you that that sense of nourishment which also makes you tapped in so much.
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely, like, you know, it just being the two of us, like, there's nobody else, you know, Mm -hmm. to talk to. Uh, I had a lot of friends, a lot of friends growing up, Uh, definitely friend groups, and uh, as I moved through the world, you know, the friend groups changed, like, from, like, um, you know, the kids in the apartment complex that when we first moved to the States to when my mom finally was able to get a house, you know, the kids in the neighborhood, they joined the neighborhoods now my elementary school, and. Then when I started playing sports, and that took me to the other side of town. Then it was like, you know, my teammates, my bandmates or whatever. So I've always had like a a group of friends and and some of the ones I was talking about earlier, like like squad of six, like uh, we've been together for 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. Um, So I've had that brotherhood, but I'm also thankful for the community that raised me because I got to see so many different versions of just like black life, man, you know, like um, my homeboy Ramal, his parents were married and I got to see them and Miss Coleman opened up her house to everybody. So the Coleman's house was like the spot, you know, anybody, everybody knew that you can go to the Coleman's if you needed anything. So when my mom was working her second job. I'd, I'd be at the Coleman's house until you know, my mom could come pick me up or uh, the Fishers, you know, Brendan Fisher, and my homeboy Fish, but his father, uh, Floyd Fisher, um, that man worked so hard and um, in high school you know he gave me a job at the car wash and um, helped me you know in that maturation process too so like you know we washing cars by day and at the evening we are at a football tailgate for our FAMU or FSU you know selling chicken and ribs and stuff like that <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah or cutting grass early Sunday morning um, so it's like all those types of experiences you um, I felt like gave me more of a dynamic upbringing you know in addition to what my mom was providing me in addition to what my father was providing me again uh from afar and in those times when i was visiting.
1: that's dope and now you're a girl dad yeah. <laughs> so, so everything that you've experienced from a boy to a man um, I'm sure you can bring some of those to Parenthood yeah. to raise your daughter, but then what, how are you? How are you thinking about that strategy and raising her into a woman and a well-balanced woman at that?
0: Yeah, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I think a lot of that is a lot of it is just honesty. You know, kids are extremely honest, mm. like extremely honest. Uh, <laughs> last night, uh, you know, Journey and I we were just having a discussion. And it wasn't going the way she wanted. I think she wanted something at dinner time. And I was just like, no, nah, I'm not. I'm not interested. In mm-hmm. uh, because you're about to go to bed. Like, I think she wanted some water. You know, and like, you know, she started crying or something like that. And then like, you know, taking a fork and like looking like what she wants to do with the fork. And like, hey, let's not do this. Let's, let's not do this. You know, and then like, you know, she puts it down and starts crying. I'm like, Journey, why are you crying? And uh, so, you know, we've been learning some parenting things. So I'm asking, like, so how are you feeling? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm mad. I'm frustrated. I'm like, good. Like, okay, one, I'm glad that as a dad, I can ask my kid to authentically represent their feelings. My mom did a really great job. But I don't know that, like, that was something that we were constantly practicing. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Uh, We probably got there a little bit later. But um, whatever. So it's good that, you know, I want to be like to say like journey hey the things that you are feeling are real like i want to validate her feelings so that she can't be gaslit. you know like or like she the the process of gaslighting doesn't start with me you know mm-hmm, what i mean mm-hmm. um and then you know you know we kind of expand i'm um, to her the why right so i want to be a father that like allows my daughter to experience things from somebody else's perspective mm. like sure your experience is valid feel exactly how you feel but you need to learn this empathy to understand something from somebody else's perspective so we try to say like and the reason why mm-hmm. you can't have water is mm-hmm. because hey we're still learning how to sleep throughout the night you know what i mean like so and we don't want you to have to wake up or whatever um and then she was like she started crying again and i was like journey what's wrong she's like i don't want to listen better and i was like i get it like thank you for saying like how honestly you feel Mm. and now let's talk about why listening following directions instruction leaning not only to your own wisdom and understanding but gaining it from people who have more experience life experience than you is important Uh, so I think those are those kind of elements man like I want to be honest with her Um, you know it, it so happens that inside the group of six that I was talking about earlier uh four of us are fathers and we have five girls uh so like all of us are girl dads um (laughs) so i think there's also something that you know i think we have a benefit of like well what is it that we want to teach our daughters about their relationship to men you know not trying to be misogynist or chauvinistic or anything like that but um there are different ways of operating that don't necessarily have to fall um by gender but there are some bi- biological things that you know that are real there uh, so i'm excited to just to be honest to her about like you know shit i want to stuff i want to teach her game you know what i'm saying i want to put her on it um, to know who she is and what she is take ownership of how she presents in the world not apologizing for it. Um, you know and how do you leverage how do you leverage yourself? How do you leverage the resources that you have to get you, you know, where you want? And I, I think that's probably the same thing I would have taught a boy, but uh, maybe the, um, you know, I don't. I really don't know how how it would be different. I imagine that it would be, but um, mm-hmm. I'm definitely trying to lean into honesty, transparency, and like frankness about what the world is mm-hmm. and um, what power she has in shaping. World
1: that she wants to be, yeah. Since you have gone through um, different levels of leadership and creative, uh, creativeness, and um, different identities as a man, what's the one thing that you've learned about yourself um, as a dad or girl dad?
0: (laughs) Uh, one thing I've learned about myself in these different stages, and um, you know, I mean, like, uh, (laughs) um. I I was a fool in my early 20s, man. Um, And I think a lot of that just came from not being honest with myself and who I was, uh, what I wanted out of life. Um, And I think as far as like, just being able to then communicate that to Journey, being like, man, here's how, and maybe you won't, maybe you can't skip steps, maybe regardless of how sound you are, there's always gonna be an early twenties experience, and mm-hmm. that's probably just like this rite of passage that you have to have. But mm-hmm. whatever her, no pun intended, whatever her journey is <laughs> going to be, let it not be repeating the mistakes that we made. You know what I'm saying? Like to her detriment, if it's for her edification, sure. But if there's something that if there's something that me and Lauren can put her on, um, that the mistakes that she makes is because we hadn't had that experience at that time um but that ultimately goes and makes her a better person and that's the thing that I want but yeah i guess i guess just to go back and fully answer your question i think it is um yeah i think it's like all right here's here's what i was doing feeling at this time in my life and just being honest about it mm-hmm. that's probably that's probably the main thing i can offer back
1: to her yeah just reflecting and, and being able to be authentic and vulnerable about you know dad's messed up or dad's had crazy times or dad has experienced this and just being able to be or dad did this with the women and yeah, there there'll
0: probably, be a, lot <laughs> there'll probably be a lot of that yeah maybe more than her mom would want but there's definitely gonna be a lot of that like turning your dad lived, man live yeah two, before, before i think it's funny
1: I learned, my. This, well, of course, my mother knew my dad before me, but the stuff that I go through now, my mom was like, your dad did what? <laughs> so, so, just be, I can see you being able to just challenge yourself to be honest with
0: her. Right, right, right. Yeah, now, I don't, I mean, I don't know, but like, I don't, I think because I've been honest with myself about a lot of that now, um... I imagine that it'll be easier to be honest with her about it too. So, mm-hmm.
1: cool. So, you've been dating during the pandemic, but you've also been leading during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm curious to know, like, what your experience has been leading in a vir- virtual environment. And if you could just hint on that, that, um, virtual play you had um you were saying like you weren't really f- fond of like the virtual experience but you were glad it actually went out for the hitch so what was that leading through a, vir- a, a pandemic like for you
0: yeah man Oof. Uh, you know still feeling it uh still feeling it and i think a lot of it uh have to first acknowledge that like oh there was a point in time where i was feeling overwhelmed by it all mm-hmm. just trying to make space for everybody mm-hmm. um and where I wasn't making enough space for myself because I felt like as a leader, you kind of have to be selfless in that way. But then, you know, being reminded that, like, you can't lead if your tank is empty. You know what I mean? Because sometimes leadership means siphoning off the gas that you have to pump up somebody else. But if you're empty, you can't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, So um, it's, it's changed. Every couple of months, it seems like it changes. The first was like, Encouraging rest and reflection at the beginning of the pandemic saying like, hey, how many times are we going to have a world stopping event? Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense to be burnt out in it when the world picks back up and you're starting from a negative place. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, okay, well, this is now where we are. How do we be productive inside the pandemic? Um, Both from a theater's perspective and also leading my household, you know, being a husband and being a dad. Um, and and as we kind of re-enter it is like all all throughout it is uncertainty so it's hard to lead in uncertainty there's always some of that but definitely now uh, when you can't control the elements um but as we re-enter it's like all right well, what does safety look like? you know we are vaccinated or, or or what have you but like what does our reentry want to be and do we was it healthy the way in which we moved, not just like on like your breath, but like on like, yeah, were we exhausted trying to be at everybody's spots? You know I mean? Were those relationships healthy? So still just trying to execute and evaluate those things too as the re-entry. So, um, and from a true colors perspective, it's the same type of thing. Like, okay, how were we producing plays? Was that healthy? Oh, we were working 12 hour shifts in a dark theater. Like is that the best way to make it are there other things that we can do so I, I I would say where I am right now is in a process of constant evaluation of what what's the best path towards a fruitful future mm-hmm. and a lot of that is some prognostication that you have to do um but that's where leadership during the pandemic has me right now, but of course, if you want to go back if you if you want to kind of talk through uh, all of the different stages. i'm uh, I'm sure I can pull something from what that what those things felt like, but yeah
1: <laughs> well, um one of the things that comes up as you've talked about your your personal development as well as your leadership development um, and helping journey understand empathy and that kind of stuff, one of the the key differentiators for leaders in twenty twenty was that ability to tap into um, empathy and encourage self-care and um, take a prognostic approach to constantly reevaluate what's going on and, and tend to your burnout, level of burnout and things like that. So I can I can hear the thought process of, okay, let's rise to the occasion. All right, let's check in with, your, with ourselves. Okay, let's be realistic. Okay, now how can we you know actually be productive in this space so that we're not... Just kind of twiddling our fingers so that when the world does open, we have something going on. So that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 it is <laughs> it is building a plan, constantly assessing the plan, being malleable for when the plan needs to change, mm-hmm. but like not trying to lose direction and hope in it. And I can't say that I'm on top of it all the time, but like that has never been my aspiration to be on top of it all the time. Mm-hmm. My aspiration is to be efficient and sometimes efficiency does mean that you miss a couple of shots you know what i'm
1: saying yeah now there are a lot of leaders out there who aren't necessarily tapped in whatsoever um so i'm curious to know like what type of things do you do to um keep yourself grounded and what kind of self-care practices do you take part in
0: yeah uh first thing i'll just say like how do i stay connected with my team and my staff and try to create like a familial um atmosphere or um and like you know I'm sure several leaders be like, oh, it's like a family and like a team. And like, you know, you talk to their staff, be like, yeah, you know, it, it maybe. But mm-hmm. like, um, we try to keep it loose as much as we can. You know, we are in the arts. Um, we all are working from home. Uh, I like to start our staff meetings off just like with like a random prompt, prompt you know, like what's your favorite uh, summer activity? Something that we've done a lot is like, what's your favorite like unpopular opinion? You mm. know, like, um, so things like that are, are, are really nice. And I think that's helped reduce the anxiety. Also, just reminding people that, like, man, what is a deadline, right? Like, um, it's a, I have a friend, a uh, colleague in the theater. Her name is Rihanna Yazi. She's from Minnesota, a native playwright. Uh, she told us a story that she has in her culture that, like, about, like, deadlines and time. And, uh, like, you know, time is not real, But you have to get the family across the river before it unfreezes, right? You know, so this idea of like artificial deadlines don't necessarily serve us, but there are real things. Like at some point, this river will thaw out Mm -hmm. and like you can't get caught on it. Mm -hmm. So just trying to bring that ethos to the work that we do. Like, okay, y'all, like we have grant deadlines. We have funders. We have things. Can Can we ask for forgiveness? How can we move things that... We aren't overburdening ourselves and and burning out on this one project because we got 12 projects. So what happens if we move one project due date back? Does that give us more time to then focus on the other ones or whatever? So that's that self-care containment. Mm -hmm. On on the personal side, for me, it's about owning the top of the day. When I'm able to wake up and the first alarm goes off, I believe, like at 5.02 or something like that. I'm weird and my alarms are like... (laughs) twos and five twos and threes and sixes and sevens or something like that just whatever because I'm I'm a weird Virgo sometimes but um (laughs) when I'm able to wake up at the top of the day and I start with um drinking some tea taking you know my fish oil pills because I'm a West Indian uh and we believe in cod liver oil um you know taking like a a drink that you know both helps with my protein intake and you know my cholesterol. I got family uh, high cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Like okay, so that for me that means I'm taking care of my mental health. I'm taking care of my physical health. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I spend thirty minutes reading a book. Um, well, fifteen minutes reading a book. Fifteen minutes writing in a journal. Okay. Um, you know, then I'm like, you know, working out, yoga, stretching, uh, some combination of that. <laughs> And if I can get, you know, as many of those things done by 8 o'clock, 8 o'clock check-in, which is normally when my daughter starts to stir and get up, I know the day is going to be all right. Like, whatever comes during the day, Mm -hmm. I know that I at least took care of myself, that I at least took that medication, that I at least stretched and moved my body, that I at least tried to build it up. Uh, I call it my joyful temple work. That's the value. I at least tried to do that um, before I pour into other people and share whatever I have um to give that day. Um I've really self care looks like taking care of that. And then um things that I do in the evening, um, you know, working out at the evening if I didn't get a full one in the day. Um, I've been trying I've been fairly diligent about studying Spanish. Uh, this has been a love affair I've had with the language since middle school. Mm-hmm. Um but keeping that going, um mm-hmm. means that I'm doing well and um yeah and, and, and and spending time with my wife, man, is, is really big on the self care thing. Like, um, parenting in general, parenting in a pandemic with a three year old who's constantly at the house, mm-hmm. um, can make any relationship start to stress yeah. because it's like, yo, it's your turn, No, oh, it's your turn, No, oh, it's yeah. your turn. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever we're able just to connect, man, it um, it brings a calm and, and the ease to the house uh and that's part of that self-care too
1: yeah absolutely now we met in minneapolis and we know all everything that's going on out there in minneapolis right now with um just bringing you know police and other people in power white people in power um to accountability right right? right. um and i want to say you told me that um your wife uh, lauren gave you the you know a journal Mm -hmm. you know um and I'm curious to know like, how your reflections... They've clearly helped you think more holistically as a man. But how your reflections have helped you release some of that um, tension or anxiety or even anger mm-hmm. um, through, the, through the pandemic, which I'm talking about, like George Floyd and, and all of the mm-hmm. things that have transpired in 2020.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't know that I've gotten it all out yet. Like, mm-hmm. it comes out in spurts. I would say for the longest, especially living in Minnesota... Like, I had to be quiet about the grief I was feeling. I made myself quiet about the grief I was feeling. Um, And I turned off, like, I I wasn't watching the videos. I still don't watch the videos, you know. Like, I still try to uh, move around that stuff because it can paralyze my forward action in a way that I don't find helpful. Mm -hmm. Um, I do remember specifically, man, uh, early in my time in Minnesota, I was supporting... A queer theater company, and um, they happened to be having an event. Mostly, it was white, white um, theater makers, uh, predominantly white. Um, and Trayvon Martin um, and George Zimmerman. The verdict came down uh, the first time, so I don't remember exactly what year this was, but um, it shocked me. Like it rocked my world. I'm from Florida, so this black kid in Florida doing what I've always done cutting through neighborhoods moving through space you know stopping at a corner store getting something to eat on your way home Skittles Arizona iced tea I love Skittles you know what I'm saying like so I was like yo like that was me seven years ago 10 years ago whatever it was um however old I was at the time and I remember telling everybody like yo like they just acquitted him for me my world had stopped Nothing was the same, right? The sky was now green. And everybody was like, oh. Immediately back to doing whatever they were doing. I was like, yo, I'm alone here in this thing. Like, here I am trying to figure out what it means to be an ally to an LGBTQ community. And this is not to, you know, poke holes or, or, or persecute them. But just like in that moment of saying like, okay, as a black man in Minnesota, in this individual instance, I feel alone in my grief where are the spaces that I can share that? That's why I'm so thankful for the friends that we have in common, like, you know, Mikhail, Derek, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. Darius, and and, uh, amongst others. um, Because I could then, like, especially them boys being from the South, like, Mm -hmm. you know, we could have some conversations and we could kind of relate to some things. Uh, I found myself on a podcast that I do for True Colors. Um, The, I was, I was, it happened to be a solo podcast with the end of a guest where I kind of wrap things up. And, um, I started crying because I hadn't really said out loud all of the things that it felt like, you know. Um, so I think that type of like grieving process happens intermittently, uh, very sparingly, um, because one I don't find it as helpful, but also like I do also feel like I'm I know what it is. I've addressed that that. Stuff. I mean, it's, it makes you sad, like, I mean, uh, you know, mm-hmm. um, and that there is more that can be done. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what then drives the art of this action. It's like, all right, you don't have to feel like you are powerless. You have agency and my agency is art in an art platform. Mm-hmm. So let me use that then to inspire social action. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I don't remember going to any racially aware like plays in Minneapolis mm-hmm. but I've definitely I definitely think the musical the musical rendition that I went to was a nice um combination of art and and um and and like black black awareness this black mm-hmm. culture right, right. so like as a um as the artistic director like what are some of the things that you plan to come out with that either further the um, black power agenda. Um, and I'm being real radical when I say that, right?
0: <laughs> I'm
1: weird. I'm, weird. I'm weird. Right. Um, or, or, you know, just kind of educate us about what kind of things are going on.
0: Yeah, so right now, True Colors is in, in what we call our season of joy and pain. And it's ironic because I named this season back in October of 2019. And little did I know in a couple of months, like we would really be experiencing the full breadth of joy and pain throughout the course of this pandemic and for us that means like those emotions are inextricably linked in black people's lives like we can't have a moment of joy that doesn't also hold elements of pain inside of it like we have comedy and we we find ways to move through it but like mm-hmm. those things are real right you can just be hanging out like i talked to you on jefferson playing video games and shot and killed her in her house right like so these things happen mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. but like they're also highly theatrical man like when you think about tragedies and comedies and things like that the laughing and crying theater mass that people see like that's essentially theater and we know theater having its roots in in, in the motherland in africa like it has been part of the experience of black people to navigate those emotions so that's a thing that we're talking about right now about just the the truth of that you mm-hmm. know uh, we talk about having respect for black lives and uh, our our values, our boldness, laughter, abundance, and respect, and how all those things show up in authenticity Black stories. As we come back, uh, we're really going to be looking forward to what we're calling our Sankofa seasons. Uh, so, you know, for those who are unfamiliar, but Sankofa, the Adinkra symbol with this idea of a journey forward begins with a glance back. As True Colors nears its 20th anniversary, which is 2022-2023. We wanna start with this idea of like, let's go back and get stories, black stories from the 20th century that we need to make sure that we bring forward. In our 20th anniversary season, we wanna reclaim ours. What are narratives? What are communities? What are people, black people, that we have forgotten about, that we wanna make sure that we bring in with us because we need them for our journey forward. And then in our 21st century, as we look forward to what's there, like, what is the future of black, life, you know, like, what do we want it to be, and how can we play a part in, in that storytelling. Um, I'm really interested in, in inviting our community, both locally here in Atlanta, but also nationally, internationally as a black diaspora, to investigate what are the things that we need to know about our most recent history, the 20th century, that we got to be, that we got to know because that affects how we operate here. We gotta we gotta understand what the Great Migration did, you know? We gotta understand how that then affected housing policies, that then segregated our communities, that then affected the way that voting plays out, that then affects how laws are governed, and then how police officers who are then sworn to uphold those laws. Mm-hmm. Police our communities, Mm -hmm. causing mass incarceration. Yep, dismantling. You know what I mean? Like all of it is all connected. We got to understand the root source, so that we can then be part of dismantling the system. Um, And again, I hope to be able to do that artfully, um, in a way that you know doesn't turn people on off, but gets people to lean in.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I guess so. I think that I got so I got so like (laughs) engulfed in what you were saying. I'm like, man, you got like for you to be able to be in this position, that means you now get to paint the picture of what that looks like. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, And these seeds that we plant uh, from an artistic perspective gives us the vision of what we need to be like. You know, aware of. You know, paying homage to our our ancestors as well as envisioning where we want to go. Um, so I think that's just like very powerful. And, and it's really awesome that you have that as a core mission to be able to bring that to to your art and to your plays and to the community's awareness.
0: Yeah, I think it's important that we envision black futures too. Like, I, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of black history and I'm learning more about black theater history, black history in general, because um, like unsurprisingly, it really wasn't taught to me in school, especially as I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. um, kind of being put in these mm-hmm. predominantly white spaces because of my level of education like they weren't enriching me with that history mm-hmm. right um going to predominantly white institution they that wasn't really at, taught to me in the same kind of way so i've had to go and do some of that as an adult but um black futures are equally important right like you know i'm interested i'm interested in black futurism but i'm also just interested in like just like you know, like what is it that we gonna do and like let's believe that we have a tomorrow because mm-hmm. that it's gonna change the way we live today you know
1: absolutely yeah. absolutely 100 percent
0: and i don't know that i was always interested in like a future i for a very long time in my life i didn't imagine being 30 like i just never had a concept of it mm-hmm. you know um and even now like i struggle a little bit of like okay you know like you know, what what is my life going to be like at 45, you know, like, I don't know, you know, like, I maybe got maybe the next five years uh, planned out or something like, or at least thinking about it. But, mm. like, you know, of course, being married, having a daughter, like those things make me think more about the horizons. And if I can encourage more people to think about that, like, how does that then change your day to day actions? That's not to say that like, you know, you're not going to pursue fulfillment of that day. Um, but you know maybe you'll save a little bit more money. Uh, Because you want to make a future investment, or maybe you will um, decide to go to the doctor because you know you do want to live a little bit longer, and you need your need your body, need your core. You need you gotta be present for the future that you.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So I typically, I do ask typically my my guests to go out like three or five years and talk about what they see for the future. I'm going to do something different for this conversation. <laughs> so one thing that we haven't touched on, but um, is important to just put a pin in is your mentor relationship um, uh, with Mr. Kenny. Um, and I wasn't quite sure if it was a he noticed you and pulled, you know, kind of brung you in his wings, or if you noticed him. Um, and maybe it's worth touching on that a little bit, but the question that I have for you is if we're not going to think in terms of years ahead, in terms of where you want to go, even right now, who is someone, or not even, like, give it a name, but who would be someone to help you to, you know, look forward or pull, pull you forward to get you where you want to go next?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think Kenny's a great, great name for that um, mm-hmm. because of what he's established man you know like um I often tell him that i don't think he gets enough flowers um but uh it's changing right now when broadway comes back they will have more black plays than they've ever had at any point but over the last decade plus kenny is one of maybe three black directors four black directors who have directed mm-hmm. on broadway um And he's consistently there one or two shows a year. Um, So as far as taking advantage of the opportunities presented to you, telling authentically black stories, Kenny's done a really great job of that. And that serves as a consistent inspiration of being able to navigate both TV, film, and live theater as a medium Mm -hmm. in order to tell those stories. Other people that I think... um, that you know can bring me forward man you know like it as corny as it is man like you know there's something about barack hussein obama man like that brother did it man he was on and like, su- under such scrutiny and like you know raising kids who are you know whatever imperfect but like they get to be kids you know what mm-hmm. i'm saying and you get to see like oh like hey, like yeah you know like and again like this is not shade but like what does Obama do when his daughter is smoking weed, right? Like on camera, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like that, that's, that's, that's real. <laughs> thanks, thanks, thanks Obama. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. And like, you know, maybe more than likely, um, my life and our life as a family will never be as public, but you know, in this position, it is a public position. So there will be some of that. Um, so just seeing like how you navigate and handle that, um, other real people like I think a lot of, I think a lot about the fathers in my life I mentioned Ralph Coleman, uh, Floyd Fisher um, you know Mr. Frost like um, of my group of friends who you know grew up with both of their parents uh, like that. those are examples too you know? Yeah. Like, um, you know how do you stay married for that long how do you raise kids you know how do you keep on showing up every day. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and other people, man. Like I I'm I'm thankful because like I don't it doesn't um Robert Barry Fleming is another artist director. You know, he he is he loudly proclaims that he is a black queer man in his 50s. Um but Robert lives with the authenticity that is inspiring too. Um in his leadership, he doesn't he doesn't take any ish from anybody. Mm-hmm. Although he has to swim through it and what he deals with, and he just arrives at some place. And, and, and there's some, you know there's black women there too, and I don't remember if your question was about black male leadership, black male mentorship or, or not. But um, I get inspired by so many different types of people for specific ways in which they navigate. Um, so I just I stay open to mentorship, constant mentorship, even if people don't recognize it. You know what I mean? Like, the level in which you've produced your podcast is inspiring, you know? So I definitely would take something back here for this, like, you know, box lighting, ring lights, a nice backdrop and setting. This is good, man. This is good stuff. And there's definitely something to be said about um, the value of intimate conversation moving towards a point, and how can that be valuable to somebody else?
1: i appreciate you saying that yeah no doubt. Yeah, i think what you just embodied or um or personified is just the value of having mentors and coaches that you might not even know mm-hmm. and always looking to different people to exemplify what it is that you want to embody as an as an adult as a man as a father as a whatever leader right mm-hmm. and um you also gave a mix of people you didn't know Right? Um, Or possibly will know. I mean, you know what I mean? (laughs) Who doesn't want to meet Barack Obama? Um, But also your friends and the qualities that they have to exemplify what type of man you want to be as you grow up. So I appreciate you. And then also, I I just appreciate that that tidbit because I I knew you coming here, you were going to be like, you know how lighting is supposed to be, know how solid it's going to be. I'm like, okay, I just envision. I don't know. But anyway, so thank you so much for telling your story. No, thanks for having me. Absolutely. One of the things that I like to do um, on the podcast is um, think about someone along your journey. You know, when you look back, if there's a young man um, who at any point, whether it was when you moved to Tallahassee, uh, when you transitioned from D.C. to Minneapolis or transitioning into fatherhood, if you can pinpoint one of those times in your life and reach back to that person, what would you say or who would it be? And then what would you say to that person? to help them get to their future self.
0: Mm. Mm. Get to their future self. Mm. You know, um, I got a homeboy who I play ball with was my roommate um, and he just shared with me recently about like a transformation that he's undergoing um, and his relationship with Christ and how that has kind of just like changed up how he operates as a father and as a husband and things like that and uh, it was really inspiring. It was it came at a perfect time, especially at a time for me where I mentioned I was like, I, I recognized that I was having trouble dealing with all of the challenges that I was facing. And I too have been in this space where I like, a, you know, I grew up in the church, but I've had this lifelong battle of like okay what is the doctrine what am i actually being taught versus like what do i believe and all this other good stuff so just hearing him talk about it and his experience it was so edifying for me um but i'd love to go back and just say to him um yo like you are going to arrive at a place that is going to inspire me and inspire other people around you you've been inspired by other people who are in our network that's something that he shared with me too um And to be able to give that back to him, I think would mean a lot. I I don't know how much he would uh, appreciate it. We both were some pretty big knuckleheads at the time, but um, it is amazing as I track his journey from where he was to where he is now. um, I think going back and be able to tell him what what he'll become, I think he'd be pretty impressed with himself. Not surprised,
1: impressive (laughs) though that is exciting thank you so much jamil thanks
0: man this is good this is really good y'all absolutely
1: (laughs) so if you um enjoyed or tapped into, or anything resonated with you, um, you, you probably want to connect with Jamil, right? So, <laughs> Jamil, how can the folks get in contact with you?
0: Yeah, on, on Instagram, I'm Mr. JD Jude. Um, True Colors is at True Colors Theater. We spell theater with the R E, so T H E A T R E. True Colors T R U um, E. That's all the stuff on Instagram. My website is JamilJude.com. All my contact information is on there. Um, readily accessible. And again, like if you reach out in the email, and I don't hit you back immediately, it's not because I was ignoring you. Um, it may have just slipped down uh, in the flood of uh, inbox. Um, but uh, hit me up again. Try different mediums, man. Like I love connecting with people, so I try to be as open as possible as I can do with that.
1: There you have it. Um, Jamil. did you know that I am um, currently a career coach? I did know that. So mm-hmm. <laughs> the cool thing about being a career coach is being able to have these authentic conversations and also trace the steps that we've gotten to, because not always we don't always trace those steps and figure out how did they get us to where we are today mm-hmm. and then tap into our future self to figure out where we want to be. So. I love having these conversations as a career coach just because my friends are doing cool things and it helps me figure out what I want to do. I mean, I have a billion mentors now. (laughs) Oh, man. But it also helps me kind of get enlightened to other things that my clients might actually want to get into and different nuggets that sound similar. You know, everyone's life is unique, but things that sound similar, I'm able to trace that back to a passion or interest that you had when you were six and you're just drawing. And oh, all of a sudden you become an artistic director, but there are links. And so that is the passion that I have around having these conversations and being able to bring it back to those career coaching conversations where we're still trying to figure out how do we make our transition? How do we tap into our thoughts and feelings and how do we empathize with ourselves to figure out what our next move is? Right. right. So thank you for sharing your story. I'm sure y'all appreciate it as well. Until next time, I will be definitely posting this one soon. Y'all have a wonderful day and peace out. Thank you. <laughs>